with another episode of Prof Street Coaching. So today with me, I have a return guest. So in our last episode, you heard from Becky Morrison, and we really just started to dive into you know some of the, the free resources that she's offering. But I really enjoyed her sharing her tactical um, her tactical frameworks that both fellow coaches and leaders can use that I actually asked her to come back and share some some more of her her frameworks that she's using. And so she's got another one that we're going to about talk about in just a minute here. So Becky, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be back here and and looking forward to talking with you again. So in in the minds of our viewers, it will have been a week, but in reality, it's I mean, it's been five minutes. We we decided we were going to keep going. We're, so we're recording these back to back. So in in time dilation here. So it's good to have you back in the last five minutes. Yeah, thanks. It's been, we've, yeah. We've, I've missed you. It's been a long time. It's been a <laughs> yes. long time. But uh, so, Becky, one of the things that we didn't get to dive into. So if you, if you didn't hear the previous episode, Becky kind of talks about her her life and her background and her history, how she got to where she's at today. But one of the things that I'm interested in in diving into in this episode is about your your coaching background and how you became a coach and the kind of education, because it's a little bit different than maybe what some other people have experienced with with coaching sort of certifying bodies. So get her take it away. I would be happy to. So. Um, I think, as I told you, uh, I've been a certified coach for a little over a year at this point, and I got my certification from the University of California, Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute, which is loosely associated with uh, Haas Business School at the University of California, Berkeley. And um, as you'll recall from the last time we talked, I sort of landed on coaching after working with a coach myself. Um, and one of the things that that we did as part of my coaching work was to really, she created a container for me to explore the right way for me to get that coaching education. And I will say why I chose Berkeley and what that experience was like, but I want to make clear that I'm not um, weighing in at all on that it is better or worse than some other program, right? I have no basis for comparison, but Um, I want to tell you that, like, I want to tell you guys that the things that went into making that decision for me. And so number one, I was really looking for a coaching education program that would take me out of my comfort zone. It was important to me that this just wasn't additive learning. I want some, I wanted something that would expand my skills in a meaningful way. And for me, expansion requires a little bit of discomfort. Um, Mm -hmm. and I have a very sort of traditional academic background, meaning I went to Wellesley undergrad and then I went to Georgetown Law School. So sort of straightforward um, political science major and, and a lawyer, you know, again, not very experiential, not very um, emotions based. And Berkeley's program, Berkeley's coaching program was started by a gentleman named Mark Rittenberg. And you can Google him. He's got a TED talk and the t- I think he has two at this point, but the one that got my attention is literally called leadership is love. And so Berkeley's got a very, and they're not alone in this, but they've got a very humanistic, holistic approach to executive coaching that really resonated with me. Um, And so their program is a 10 week, a 10 week, sorry, 10 day on campus program, followed up by some additional sessions and some coaching hours and some mentor coaching. It's got a very similar layout in terms of numbers to what is required for ICF certification, but they are not ICF certified themselves. Um, And I equate in the best possible way the 10 days that I spent on campus at Berkeley to adult summer camp. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. really amazing. Um, They introduced 
all kinds of coaching concepts, coaching education, but they did it through experience. And then they threw in things like uh, they had a gospel pianist and musician come and, and we did group singing three times. We had a meditation coach come in and lead us in some meditation activities. They have a number of faculty who are in the um, performing arts world. So we did um, we did all kinds of acting activities and and physical activities. We had to perform a one act play uh, at the end of the time. So each of us were paired up and we had one act from in, uh, an existing play that we had to then put on at the at the end. So it really forced you out of your comfort zone and allowed you to learn about coaching in this very personal, human, holistic, kind of meaningful, emotional, deep way. It was a really spectacular experience and it's really influenced um, how I approach coaching. Um, yeah, that, I, I could go on and on. Can you tell? I, I loved it. So <laughs> yeah, I can tell that you really did like it. So one of the, the first things that you were saying is that you were looking for something to challenge yourself. You mentioned that you come from a poli-sci background and you went to graduate school very, very traditional, structured when it comes to a research-based, easy application, and that you wanted to challenge yourself and you you picked almost the polar opposite. And when people are hearing Berkeley and you're talking about trust falls and, you know, doing the the actor warm-ups and doing singing and activities, you know, it could be what most people think of a very, you know, stereotypical, very kind of, you know, lib arts uh, centered mm-hmm. environment. But how did, did you know that you were going to be doing all that stuff before you signed up? I mean, I had an idea, right? Like I didn't have the full granular detail, but um, I knew, and I talked to coaches who had been through the Berkeley program. I talked to coaches who had been through other other university-based programs that I was also considering. Um, And a couple things stood out for me about the Berkeley coaches. And it was that they are more, they were more willing to, again, look at the whole person. And this was a big one for me. Uh, most of the Berkeley cohorts are still in touch with each other years later. And I really thought it was important as I was moving from being part of an organization, which is what I've done for two decades, to being on my own, that I had a peer group. And so mm-hmm. I think of like Berkeley coaches are my, that's the company I work for, even though they aren't getting any of my money, right? Like that's my, those are my coworkers. And so to have that community was super important to me. Um, so yeah, I knew what I was getting into to a point. Could I have understood or did I appreciate the depth to which it would be transformational? I did not. Yeah. So some of the things that you personally looked for when selecting a school was community, the coaching style, which jived with what you wanted to do, the camaraderie and support afterwards. What about yes. the format that kind of, you know, 10 day intensive versus that kind of drip, you know, where you're doing like three hours a week for, you know, four months. I mean, was that kind of a, an interesting point or any uh, thoughts I'll on that? I'll be honest there. That was appealing to me for a couple of reasons. First, um, once I decided that coaching was what I wanted to do, I wanted to get it done. You know, I wanted the certification, the education so that I could really feel competent to be out there engaging with people as a coach as quickly as possible. Two, I have two kids and a husband who now doesn't work in the, in the intelligence industry, but he's a basketball coach. So it's, you know, kind of a crazy schedule there too. And I knew that it would be easier if I said, I will be absent for these 10 days. We have to bring in help and figure it out and do whatever than it would be to try and kind of squeeze it in over time. That was just for me personally. Mm-hmm. And then I will add selfishly. I mean, at, at, when I went to Berkeley, I had a 15 year old and a 
11 year old. And in 15 plus years, I had not been away from home entirely focused on myself, not for work ever. (laughs) So um, I was kind of excited to just like put it all down and really use it as an opportunity to dig deep into who I was, who I wanted to be as a coach and what I could learn from this really talented, amazing group of faculty. So it's a, a little bit of a double dipping there where it's it's mm. kind of for you. It kind of works logistically, but it's mostly mostly for Becky. Yeah. Yeah. And any other factors that when you go went into choosing the the schooling of your choice? It was important to me that I went somewhere that um, is somewhat recognized as doing good work. Right. And there are a lot of programs that qualify for that. But um, Berkeley coaches do have some name recognition recognition in certain contexts in certain circles. Um, and that was, that was meaningful to me. I'm not sure whether it should have been meaningful to me, but it was at the time I was making the decision. So name recognition is important as well. Yeah. Because there's a plethora mm-hmm. and I think it's good to hear multiple coaches stories about how they selected, you know, the, the coaching school that I went to was online. I think it's now defunct and it was, it was, Fine. It's fine. That's that's yeah. about most I can say of it. They were very nice. So you go through Berkeley school, you have what you consider adult day camp. You're doing sing-alongs, you're doing one act plays. And yeah. what happens after the end of this intensive? Are you ready to go? Gonna start coaching? So after the end of this intensive, again, you you are paired with a faculty coach who serves as your mentor coach. And then you have to complete a certain number of coaching hours submit a final exam, which includes some coaching recordings that you get feedback on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you are officially certified. So um, that said, I walked out of that 10 day intensive feeling really ready and really competent to start working with clients. And so that's what I did pretty much right away. Um, the end of that 10 day intensive, you actually do two, um, two practicums in companies where Berkeley has an existing relationship and you coach regular people who you've never met before. So you have an opportunity to try their coaching framework kind of in a playground or or sandbox space where you're being observed and can get feedback. And so having done that, and then having done all of the coaching during the program, you know, you you basically learn by doing 99% of the time. um, I felt really ready to work with people and, and did that right away. Very cool. And you said that that you had brought in the framework that we talked in the last episode about kind of the the happiness index and the split chart that came from previous experience. But today I was really hoping to kind of focus on your concept of of seasons that that we had shared um, offline. So tell me a little bit about how this concept came to be and when you started introducing it into your into your coaching work. So this has been about a part of my coaching work since the beginning. And and this concept came to be really around the same time. So when I was back, you know, just to refresh people's recollection, back when I had that moment as a as a young mom uh, litigation associate of like, I can't live like this. um, It was a recognition. That's where sort of this idea of seasons came. And so, you know, I, here I was a new mom. I was loving being a mom, but I was spending way more time and energy being a lawyer than I was being a mom. And for a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways, my law firm was not sort of repaying that energy with value. Right. And so here I am giving, 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 getting not a lot in return and not even doing the thing that I love most. And so I kind of, that was part of that wake up, part of that 
that moment of saying, what do I want my life to look like was a recognition that, hey, I'm in this season that I'm going to call new motherhood. And that looks different from the season where I had I didn't have a kid <laughs> and I had more time and I only had a husband. Um, and it's going to look different than any other season has looked so far. And what do what does that mean in terms of what my priorities are and in terms of how I spend my time? And so let me like take the lens back a little bit and give you an, an analogy around seasons. And so when I talk about seasons, I'm not talking about winter, spring, summer, fall. I'm talking about the times in our lives or the chapters in our lives. But you're in Colorado, right? I am. Yeah. So imagine that I took you in the winter and I dropped you somewhere like, I don't know, on Pike's Peak in a t-shirt and shorts in December. It's very Assuming cold I could even there. drive up there in December. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd be cold and you'd be uncomfortable. Um, but if I dropped off a winter coat, you'd be that much more comfortable or that much less uncomfortable by simply recognizing that, oh, yeah, it's not summer. It's winter. I need to dress differently. And it's funny to me how many people are walking through life effectively in on Pike's Peak in shorts in December, and they don't even realize why they're unhappy. <laughs> well, part of it is they haven't defined their current season. They haven't been real that something has changed about the world we're living in or the world they're living in that means their priorities need to shift. And so my work with clients pretty much 99.9% of the time starts with getting clear on the current season and what that means. And then that gives us the framework for how we can work right now. You know, what's the playing field for today, for this season? Um, and what do we need to change to make it a better, happier, more effective playing field and move us towards preparing for the next season? I find that really interesting. So when you when you talk about that, Becky, I think one of the first things that comes from mind to me is a manner of perspective. So for example, you know, what if my summer on Pike's Peak with shorts is the winter for you without a jacket? Or for example, you know, if people are saying like, you know, maybe in the example you just gave, they're like, well, you had a, a two-year-old, you're giving her a bath, but you're, you know, going through law school. People are like, man, I would kill to have, that's a privilege. I would kill to have access to that. And I wish I could be working that many and make that kind of money. So where does perspective come into play where one's person, one person's winter could be a summer for someone else? I mean, the answer, yes, is the answer. I mean, you are so right. And seasons are completely personal. So that's why it is different than the seasons of the calendar, right? Mm -hmm. And what you need out of, and I know you've got a little one, what you need out of your your new-ish fatherhood season may look very different than what the next person needs. And it's all about defining, A, just being honest about the boundaries of the season and what's in the season, and then figuring out what you want to do with it. And so you're right. I know that there are people out there. I have friends that were going through the same things and totally handled it a different way and felt a different way about it. And that's awesome and fine, right? What was important about that bathtub moment for me, that moment where I've got the little kid and I'm trying to do the work and I'm like, this can't continue, was the realization that for me, this is uncomfortable and this is not working in this season. Now, if somebody was sitting there with their kid in the bathtub and they're taking notes and they're with the witness and they're thinking, I am killing it right now. This is the most fun I've ever had. Then heck yeah, like do more. You know, so it's mm -hmm. not about telling people how to live a season. It's about identifying the season and letting them figure out, is it winter and I need a coat? 
Is it summer and I'm wearing a coat and I need to take it off? Or is it just right? You know, is it, am I where I need to be? And then what do we do with the rest of it? And that's, it's just really just to, again, it's this idea of a container for our current time. I think we get wrapped up in like, well, it's hard right now and I'm an associate and then I'm going to be partner and it'll all be better. I don't want people to live for later. I want people to live for now. And so you've used that term kind of container, right? And when I think of it, it's just, uh, or you said sandbox, right? When you were talking about, about learning. So how does this pair up? You know, if you're creating and coaching this kind of container for people to, to work in, how does that help them identify their seasons when isn't, isn't my season outside the container? Isn't it all the days in between my coaching sessions? For sure. I mean, so I think I use the word container too much, but <laughs> there's two <laughs> containers, right? So we're talking about, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll say it this way. We're talking about the season being the playing field for your right now life. And then there's mm-hmm. the coaching container that helps you sort out what you're going to do in that season to make it work for you and to have success and how you're going to define that success. Ah. And so how the playing field helps you is it just gives you some um, edges to what you're doing. And you'll recall last time we talked about this exercise of thinking about in your life, this two column exercise of what do I want to have in my life more of what do I want to have less of in my life? Now you can think about putting that and, and taking all of those words that you said more of and putting them on your playing field and taking all those words that you said less of and putting them outside your playing field. And then looking at the ones that you want more of and thinking about, are there any that are just not compatible with the season that I'm in? Or is there anything missing that'll make this season more enjoyable? So um, I'll give an example in the COVID context, right? Because we have seasons that we choose and then we have seasons that happen to us and like season sneak attacks, right? And COVID is a great example of a season sneak attack. And so I have a good friend who is an adventurer, traveler, loves to be out and doing things, has a job, but the job is really there to fund the fun. Awesome. Totally on board until March 2019 or 2020, sorry, when COVID hits. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. now what am I doing? Like, here I am suddenly... It's like winter is coming. Oh, well, no, wait, winter is here. And I wasn't ready for it. And what am I going to do? Because what drives me is I'm funding my adventure. So now I'm stuck doing this job with no idea when I'm going to be able to pick up and explore the world again. And so that is a season adjustment moment. It's saying, hey, we are in the COVID season. And what that means for me, world traveler, is that I need to find an alternative source of happiness to make this season work for me. And so what this person did is sort of identified what it is that they love about adventure. And they found ways to feed that need. Not the same. And it's not, it's not, it's not a, an, an, a permanent replacement, but it's an adequate right now replacement for the COVID season, ways to feed that need to learn and explore and meet new people. Yeah, I find it interesting, the concept of the seasons, right? The chapters of our lives yes. to kind of get get our clients to articulate that the skill sets that they were utilizing before may be different skill sets that they're going to have to use going forward. One of the things that I'm curious about is, is when do you deploy this? Is this something automatically that you do with clients as an exercise or is it something that's kind of interwoven into your sessions? 
I mean, I th- I think the answer, just I'm not just saying this because I'm a lawyer, but I think the answer is that it depends, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it depends what we've articulated the goal of our work together as. And so I have people who come to me and they say, like, I just want to sort of come to me in that moment that I was in after that bathtub day, 18 months after that bathtub day of like truly figuring out what I want to do. Then we're going to start with seasons, right? This is going to be foundational. This is going to be the first thing we do. For other people, it comes up in different ways or it comes up as there are shifts in their in the time during the time that we're working together. So it it just depends. I will say um, in the, the book that I'm writing, this is literally the first chapter because I do think it sort of launches your inquiry to if your goal is to live a happier life right now, you need to understand what's, <laughs> what season it is right now. That's going to be important to figuring out how to architect that life. Yeah. So you've deployed this kind of in different fashions, depending on where you're starting with the client, where they're at. What kind of success have you seen with with using this vernacular? I think this is just really, this is a tool that really has helped crystallize. It helps us get somewhere really fast. It helps us understand um, where, or it helps me understand and a, and a client get an understanding of where they're sitting today and what the limits are to their current reality, and then recognize that they may, may need to adjust. The other thing that I think it has it does is sort of it unlocks this concept of balance. And so let me explain. It's going to take a couple words for me to do that. But you hear people talk about balance a lot, right? Like you hear people say, oh, I feel out of whack. I feel out of balance. I think the kind of balance that matters most is when your time and energy is being spent on the things that matter to you most not on the things that don't matter. And so that doesn't mean balance is not, and people get confused in this, spending equal time and energy on all the things. That's not balance. That's just trying to do all the things. And so, I, for example, I was talking to somebody recently and um, they've started a new business, right? And so he, we had sort of established that, okay, yeah, so I think this is my business building season. Like it's time for me to focus on my business, but I'm finding that I'm socializing a lot less and I feel out of I, that. That feels like that means I'm out of balance. That's not out of balance if it's in alignment with your priorities. So if you're spending 70% of your time on your top priority, and I just picked 70% for no reason, but if you're spending a lot of time, like 70% of your time on your top priority, you're not out of balance. That's actually in balance. And if you feel like you were out of balance because you wish you were spending your time differently, then you need to think about, do I need to change my priorities? Have they shifted? Do I need to recognize that the season has changed? Or can I just let go of this idea that I'm supposed to have like, you know, 12 buckets of stuff and fill them all? That's unrealistic. And that's where a lot of our overwhelm and a lot of our stress comes from. And what do you think is going on there when you think about, okay, they're in alignment with 70% of what they believe to be their inherent goal, but yet they're still unhappy. I mean, is this a, a level of how they're gauging it or is it the grass is always greener? Like once I have what I've always been wanting, then I don't want it anymore. Well, I mean, again, the answer is it depends, but I can tell you, I can tell you that for this person, I think um, it actually came down to other people's shoulds, right? It was this idea of, well, I should have more of a social life. I should be spending more time on this. They didn't Mm. actually want to. They just felt like they were supposed to be. And we all like to do, or not all of us, maybe not that you talked about Gretchen Rubin's types, maybe not that rebel, but the rest of us like to be doing what we're supposed to do, right? And so 
um, I think that can be a huge barrier for a lot of people. Um, sometimes it's other things. Sometimes it's, um, you know, grass is always greener. Sometimes it, it's, I mean, but grass is always greener though, really is just a different way of saying, I haven't been authentically clear with myself and with you about what matters to me. Curious, curious. So <laughs> any, when you, when you kind of divide up and say, Hey, you know, it really is a one size fits one, right? Some of these things don't apply, you know, to everyone the same. It's really a one size fits case, especially depending on the client, their narrative, where they've come from. Like you are exploring, you know, hey, what one person's summer is another person's winter. Where else can people apply this kind of methodology other than just maybe in the coaching relationship? I mean, I think you can apply this kind of methodology on your own. I think you can even apply this kind of methodology on a more micro basis, right? Like I think about it in a work context and, you know, I think about it, like I'll, I'll draw back to the time that I spent as a litigator, right? You could have like, I don't get, mean to get too fancy, but you could have micro seasons. Like there might be a two month period that is the trial season for your case and for your project. And that means your life is going to look a particular way for those two months, um, and acknowledging that and then just sort of like owning that this is the season I'm in. This is what I will be doing. And I can say no to everything that is not that because it is my trial season. It gives you a way, a construct, a, a way to explain to people, uh, a way to explain to yourself um, what it is that you're doing. And and at the end of the day, you know, if you chose to be a litigator, you chose to have trial seasons. <laughs> And if you don't like mm-hmm. having trial seasons, then maybe it's time to evaluate that overall choice. Um, you know, I'll, for, I'll take myself as an example. I I didn't have I didn't have the opportunity because I was at a big law firm to do that many trials, but I loved going to trial. I thought it was super fun, but it literally eats your entire life. And so, um, although I loved it, and although I would have wanted more of it, that would not have been sustainable with the other things that became a part of my life, the other seasons I entered into. So yeah, that shifting kind of experience. Well, Becky, this is awesome. Wrapping up kind of our our second uh, episode here, and we've finished talking on seasons, really kind of exploring that. Um, did you want to kind of talk a little bit about the book? Is it is it too early? Can you talk about no, what's, no, no. I mean, what's I'm happy next? to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the book is due out in the spring. I'm still editing it, but I can tell you that the working title is called, um, the book is called The Happiness Recipe, A Powerful Guide to Living What Matters. And if you like this kind of tactical stuff that you and I have been talking about these last two times, then this is the book for you. Uh, It's all about providing a framework and a series of activities to help people identify um, how to live their happiest life right now. And who is the book for? Is it for coaches? Is it for for clients? Is it for all of the above? It's for people. <laughs> for humans. Just for the people. Yeah. I mean, I think any I think there's there there isn't anyone I've met yet who hasn't said that they got something from it, including my kids and a couple of their friends. So it's literally like approachable, um, digestible, just sort of the way that I think about and have structured the framework that I work in when I coach and the way that I've lived my life. So, yeah. So friend tested, kid approved. You got it. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. 
So, Becky, one more time, uh, you know, for the people that just joined us for this episode, where can they find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Awesome. So you can head over to my website. It's www.grantley, G-R-A-N-T-L-E-Y, coaching, all one word, .com backslash podcasts. And you can get access to a free course I've got there that will walk you through the beginnings of the framework of my book. You can find out more about my book. Or if you'd like to connect with me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn or at Instagram at the.butterfly.society. And of course, we'll have links to that in all the show notes. Thanks so much, Becky, for joining me for two episodes. And we wish you all the best. 